Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500, 500 We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Graduation is a sweet occasion, but finding the perfect gift can be a bitter struggle. MMS.com has a solution. Personalized M&Ms. Just imagine the look on your grad's face when they receive a custom candy creation featuring their school's colors, name, and even their photo printed right on some M&Ms. It's a thoughtful way to celebrate their accomplishments and make the occasion even more special. Visit MMS.com to create your own personalized gifts and party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code WONDERY to receive 15% off your next order. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist.
And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Las Vegas and from the Bellagio for the 17th annual Virtuoso Travel Week. It's intense, it's crazy, it's absurd, which about is the exact age of my radio show, by the way. I come to something called Virtuoso Week. And for those of you who've never heard of Virtuoso, I'm amazed because we talk about them a lot on the show. It's probably the largest, most influential network of travel advisors in the planet, or some might even say the galaxy. And in a world in which we have lost the art of conversation, it's amazing what these advisors are able to do. The networking, their connections, uh, the options. I mean, the true definition of luxury travel is when you get to keep your options. Uh, And in a world in which my next guest will explain is VUCA, uh, yes, V-U-C-A, it's amazing to see that the one resilient aspect of the world these days is the number one industry in the world, travel and tourism. I'm speaking, of course, about the, well, the chairman and founder of Virtuoso, Matthew Upchurch. Hey, Matthew. Hi, Peter. Great to be back. Welcome back. Okay, let's start with VUCA. What is VUCA? Uh, The term was actually uh, created by the CIA and the uh, intelligence community after the fall of of the Cold War, and it stands for Volatile, Uncertain, Complex, and Ambiguous, which pretty much describes the world nowadays. It describes my personal life. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, but, but the bottom line, yeah. that's true. Yeah, it's like you don't know who, you know, this week's friend is next week's enemy, and everything's ambiguous, and everything's gray. And so we thought we'd win the Cold War and everything get simpler. Well, it didn't happen. And yet, when you think about it, and I, I don't want to sound too Pollyanna-ish, but but... I think the facts do speak for themselves. When you think about the one aspect of our life that transcends all the demographics, it transcends age, it transcends education, it transcends income, it transcends religion, political affiliation, it's travel. Absolutely. And I actually, you know, so few people, and you know, you and I are big, big supporters of the World uh, Tourism Council, right? World WTT's Travel and Tourism Council. Travel yeah. and Tourism Council. And, you know, so few people still do not understand that travel and tourism is the world's largest service industry, and it employs literally nearly one out of ten people in the world, directly or indirectly. And so, and we're talking nearly eleven percent of total global GDP. I know, and it's and and what's crazy is so many people, politicians, a lot of people don't give it the respect. I don't, I don't understand. Part of it is because it's diffused, right? Um, it's diffused, and it's hard to see the full impact. But you know, we 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 also cannot live in a world where. You know, 2% of the population produces what the rest of us are supposed to consume. So thank God for travel because, you know, it, it, what's great about travel is that it has a huge economic benefit to all, all basically all stratas of income, all different countries, um, all different kinds of industries. And it's, it's, it's a really important thing. And that's the economic side. And, of course, from um, But the economic – but wait, before we even get the cultural, yeah. it's the economic side that drives it all. Of course it is. Of course it is. And yet – you know, and yet so few people, because people keep thinking of it, the airline industry, the hotel business, the this business, whatever. They don't think of it as one. You know, it, it, it doesn't get reported as one. Um, and by the way, you and I have had this discussion. Uh, you know, I still say this, that if you were to go to the U.S. Congress and ask 10 random Congress people, what is one of the last major trade surpluses the United States has with the rest of the world? They'd never get it. I'd be surprised if two out of ten would actually say travel and tourism, meaning well, visitors coming into the United States. How about States. this? Ask ten random Congress people if they have a passport. <laughs> well, I know the numbers improved from what it used to be, but it's, it's nowhere still pretty, near where it should be. It's not 
at all. No. There are congressmen out there, by the way, who actually are proud of the fact that they don't have a passport. Which I don't get. I mean, it's, you know, I just don't understand because whether we like it or not, you know, you can have you can have whatever you feelings you have about, you know, your country and this and that, but we are a global a global world and, and everything we do does it does get affected by that. Now here we are in Las Vegas, in Hot Vegas. You guys <laughs> do this every August. And what's amazing to me is that it's not just a small little meeting. How many no. people are here? We have uh, 5,672 people. From who's a, counting? 103 countries. It's another record. We grew by about almost 500 again from last year. We literally cannot fit in the Bellagio. Uh, last year was the first time that we actually expanded. So we created our own little city here where we have the Bellagio, Vidara, and now Aria. Uh, we've created our own little shuttle service. Um, and what, as you were saying earlier, uh, this whole meeting is about the one of your favorite topics, which is the the power and the art of conversation, and what and how important that is. So we literally have four minute appointment four minute appointments in the morning that are random, so that you meet people, and then in the afternoon we have matched appointments. So over the period of the next four days. Um, the combination of our travel advisors and then literally people from, I mean, hotels, you know, but let's, especially let's the companies. But let's put this in perspective. We're not just talking about literally pe- people from hotels. We're talking general managers, general managers, owners, owners CEOs. Yes. Because they realize that in this one five or six day period, yes. how much business are they going to do? Well, we estimate somewhere about somewhere between 400 and $500 million a year just from this meeting alone. But then there's the, you know, the network as a whole does over 21 billion now on a global basis so but there's just a, a lot here and it's and it builds on itself but they'll have that we'll do almost 350,000 appointments over the next uh four days which is uh as you know the my ex-cfo is the guy running the events and thank god because he's really good at math and he's figured out all these things so he quantified it to i can't remember one million some odd minutes it's basically 2.9 years worth of networking in four days into the sky the charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. The charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4. Joining me now, the executive international editor of all things American Express, Farhad Haidari. How are you, sir? Very well indeed, Peter. Uh, you're based in London, but that, but and your first time in Las Vegas, I might add. It is. And 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 if truth be told, he actually had beginner's luck. He won a little bit at the blackjack table last night. But who's talking? <laughs> but speaking of beginner's luck, this has got to be overwhelming for you to come to this event. Exactly. I mean, it is just, yeah, it is overwhelming. You just sort of think to yourself, uh, how does a place like this exist? And it can only exist in the States in the size, scale, scope, breadth of it. And it is, uh, it is a testament to the can-do attitude of Americans. Right, but the actual event itself is overwhelming. And it, indeed it is. I think there's something like 5,000 delegates that are right. here and, uh, you know, from everywhere around the world, really. And you sort of think to yourself, they've sort of congregated here to obviously purvey uh, their products and their services within the world of travel and luxury. And, and, and the thing is, you think you understand luxury travel until you start hearing these conversations and you find out what it really means in terms of what they're able to provide, deliver, and create. Indeed. I mean... We're we're working at the as as Edie was saying in the earlier segment. Uh, sh- there there is a uh, finite two percent, as it were, 
And uh, it, is, it is this demographic that a lot of the travel purveyors are trying to target. It is that top part of the market. And it is everything on land, sea, and air, whether it is people who are taking cruise holidays, whether it is people who are going and doing contrarian things off the radar destinations around the world, or whether it's people who are rediscovering places that are already familiar to them, cities, regions, etc. So where do your readers want to go? Because we live in a world of experiential one-upsmanship. Everyone's bragging rights. What are they telling you about where they want to go and how they want to go? They want to go to places that are not well-traveled, off-the-beaten-track places, contrarian locations. And that's their definition of luxury. It doesn't have to have a five-star hotel. Not at all. It could be a three-star sort of eco-lodge up in the trees, or it could be a tent in the Serengeti. It is all about places where other people have not been well-trodden, let's say. So it is places where the encanchment for the airport is very, very small, where there are a limited number of flights, whether it's in the Outer Hebrides, whether it's in Norway, whether it's in the Indonesian islands. It's those sorts of places that our readers are sort of really, really seeking out. So the further away, the more difficult to get to, and the more challenging the experience, that now defines luxury. Exactly, because then that is the part of the authentic experience of travel. That's what's putting uh, travel really with in the scale and scope of what our readers want. And our readers are the kind of people who can pretty much afford anything. They are very discriminating. They're very, very well-sophisticated. They're well-traveled. And so they want something that adds an extra level of, you know, a, a textured level of experience for travel. And is there one particular region of the world? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a great question, Peter. It is, it is always the places that are, uh, yeah, less populated, for the lack of a better word. New Zealand, for example, is huge with our readers. Uh, I mentioned Scandinavia, parts of Africa, Africa, say Namibia, for example. And then there are places that we know about, we travel to, like Morocco, Marrakesh, which are sort of perennial favorites, but also the south of France. I mean, we, we talked about uh, France and Italy and uh, Spain having a terrible time in the last couple of years, but those markets are all now picking up because people are, the, our world is shrinking because of geopolitical uh, events. Yeah. And so people are returning to places where they feel comfortable and where the intangibles for you know a holiday are already on the ground and present. And then there's some mature destinations that have been sort of dormant that are now exploding, like Portugal. Absolutely. I mean, Lisbon is one of the you know hottest cities there is. Porto, uh, b- beyond obviously the, the the spirit, is 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 well renowned, and international hotel groups are sort of flocking there. There's a brand new golf course that just opened up called Westcliffs in the south in, in Porto, and it is an incredible, incredible. I think Pete Dye designed. So uh, people are, uh, I don't want to say regressing back to places where they feel, uh, for the lack of a better word, safe, but they're going to places where they have the infrastructure on the ground where if anything were to happen uh, they'd be well looked after. And the biggest surprise to you? The biggest surprise is places that are redefining themselves. Places like Singapore for example, Miami. Uh, you know, hot destinations that are, again, perennial favorite. I mean, Las Vegas, I mean, you know, coming over from the flight, it was full of people, holiday makers, who would love to just sort of discover not only Vegas for a couple of days, but also do Grand Canyon, uh, you know, Lake Mead, go to Zion National Park, etc. They're always adding on to it. Exactly. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.
When we talk about luxury travel, that's where everybody shows up in Las Vegas every year to do that. Over 5,000 people, over 300,000 meetings. It's it's intense. It's crazy. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in business done over this five-day period. Uh, and one of the people who is here every year and always something new to, to announce, and I'm sure she's going to do it again, uh, the CEO and president of, I'm just going to say Crystal Cruises. I know you want to say all things Crystal, but I already said it for you, so don't say it. Edie Rodriguez. Hi, Peter. It's my crystal pleasure to be here. Oh, no, no, stop. <laughs> when it comes to branding and messaging, she's truly out of control. But uh, as as many of you know, uh, last year, in fact, we uh, we did a big piece on uh, on Edie's ship, the, the, the Crystal Serenity, I believe, as it did the Northwest Passage. Uh, for We did that piece on CBS. We also did a piece on this amazing woman who I think was 88 years old, uh, who has never left the ship. She lives there full time. It's unbelievable, and and she's like the godmother of the ship. In I mean, it, it, well, in reality, she, she's like a member of the crew at this point. But when we define luxury, and, and there's so many different ways to define it, and in the game of one-upsmanship, experiential one-upsmanship, I mean, you are definitely in this game, Edie, because you don't you no longer have just a cruise line. You've got a submarine. You've got a yacht. You've got a you've got a private jet, uh, and all of them seem to get linked uh, in the overall experience. Uh, and there are other cruise lines that have ships. You've got a flotilla now. Well, we've got a myriad of brand experiences because we're a marketing-driven company, and we listen to our guests and our luxury global guests, both the top 2% of the world's wealthiest and concurrently the aspirational wealthy, want experiences. And what they were telling us in the spirit of listening to our guests is that they love Crystal so much that they are going on other vacations throughout the year, but they would like to go in the Crystal style. So they wanted you to extend the brand to other things. And exactly, and that's what we did. So we took our core ocean, which as a 27-year-old brand will always be the hallmark and ethos of everything we do. And we have this three-character acronym, ECO, exclusivity, customization, and options, that we will catapult the brand equity in those three factors to continue to brand extend our experiences. So to your point, we have River. As an example, we you just... Got, you've now got a River cruise ship. Right. We've just launched the second of our River fleet, which we're getting five more. And in addition to that, we launched, to your point, our Yacht Expedition fleet has a submarine. But I think most recently and germane to now in wait, the spirit. Wait, I got to stop you. Let's Please. start with, okay. Everybody's, had, everybody's launching river cruise ships. And the most amazing thing to me is that every time you, no matter who it is, whether it's you or anybody else, they launch it and they fill it. Of course, you know, that old adage, if you build it, they will come. Yeah, but, th but that didn't actually work in Field of Dreams. Quite, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Well, it's but, working at Crystal River Cruises. Okay. We are building it and they are coming. Okay, so we got that one. Now you've got the yacht. Or you have one yacht? We have Crystal Esprit, which is the first in our yacht expedition fleet. She is 31 suites, 62 guests. So she can go to the ports that the other ships can't get into. Absolutely. And have a marina out the back with a submarine, with a 32-foot wider speedboat, <laughs> with all the water toys and accoutrements active travelers are looking for. So basically, if you grew up watching Lloyd Bridges and Sea Hunt, that's the ship for you. It is. Okay. Uh, now I've dated myself terribly. Uh, but the bottom line, are you filling that? 
oh my God, are we filling that at the highest yields. So she does Venice, Dubrovnik, Dubrovnik, Venice from April to October. So basically it's a submarine tour of Game of Thrones. Well, not exactly, but it is lots of fun. I mean, the nice thing about a vessel that size is you can drop anchor, you can really get into intimate ports, and then when the guests want to go down in the submarine with their iPhone, it's Bluetooth engaged so they can listen to their music their way while they're taking pictures. So basically it's Jules Verne on acid. Now let's move on. Okay, got it. But now you've got the 777. That's correct. We actually own also a 787, which we're evaluating what how we launch that. And as Crystal Luxury Air, we have a 12-seater Bombardier Global Express. But here in Vegas with you, of course, you get to experience Crystal Sky, our 777, which normally a 777, when configured in an all-coach configuration, hosts 380 guests. We have configured our Crystal Sky for just 88 flatbed crystal exclusive first class seating six bathrooms a lounge that dines 24 two couches i mean it's just out of this world you know i've been trying to keep an inventory and how much how many times you said the word crystal in this interview stop it (laughs) well it's my job to represent my brand i know it i just know you too well now the the question the the devil's advocate question is look it's i'm sure it's a great product i'm I'm actually gonna go out and check out the plane but airlines will tell you the only way they make money is when the plane's in the air you got to keep that plane in the air all the time absolutely they are 100 percent correct and we know that it's all about roi for our company and so the really great thing is that we are in a charter model now that has been so well received because when you evaluate private jet aviation around the world there are many triple sevens but there's nothing like this so we have charter clients out the kazoo and many more in the pipeline you've got a kazoo you have a kazoo okay count me in if you are continuing on to another southwest destination please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information if you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am the uh, tons of stuff to talk about. And, of course, we always want to talk with our next guest. He's the travel editor of the Wall Street Journal and a regular on our show called The Travel Detective on PBS, the estimable... No, I can't say that. <laughs> no, don't say that. <laughs> okay, Scott McCartney, how are you, sir? <laughs> Great to be with you, Peter. You know, every time we get together, we're talking about, well, for all intents and purposes, the nickel and diming of the American passenger, Uh, one more rule that we weren't totally aware of, or one new rule that we're not totally happy with. Uh, You get feedback all the time from your readers. I certainly get it all from my listeners and viewers. And let's start first with an unusual case that went to the federal courts, brought by an airline consumer group. uh, Was it Flyers United? Yes. Travelers United? Travelers United. Basically saying that, uh, you know, when we talk about airline seats, there's the space and width, there's the space from the back of the seat in front of you to your neck or to your legs. That's called pitch. And there are the number of people you can actually put on a plane safely according to FAA rules. And, of course, the FAA rules are always predicated on can you safely evacuate a fully loaded plane uh, with half the exits blocked in less than 90 seconds. Uh, of course, what they don't put into the, the, the mix is the plane is just sitting there. It's not tilted. It's not upright. It's, I mean, it's, it's, everything is perfect. And I, I, I'm always convinced that the reason why the airlines always pass that exam is they hire the cash from Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> um, but forgetting that, this particular lawsuit was claiming that it's not about comfort anymore, it's about safety, that airline width of seats has, has shrunk and airline pitch has shrunk, and it has. There's just no doubt about it. It's going right. from like, you know, 
20 inches down and maybe 17 and a half or 18 inches in terms of the width between each seat. And on the pitch, it's gone from like 31 inches down to, or actually 35 no, inches sure, down to like, 35. like the 28. Yeah, um, on some. And yeah, and I, I, I literally feel that every time I fly. I'm sure yes. you do too. Yes. But what was fascinating about this particular case is that the judge in the case actually, uh, against the FAA objections, of course, because the FAA is the, is the governing body here in terms of safety, ordered the FAA to, uh, A, study it and to come up with a reasonable plan about whether or not you can safely evacuate a plane based on the current dimensions of the seats. Right. And, and I, th- I think the judge was, was swayed, um, much as we all are, by uh, the, the judge's discomfort in sitting in, <laughs> in seats. <laughs> and, the, and, you know, there, there are two different issues here, comfort and safety. And, and the lawsuit attempts to basically uh, use safety questions to drive comfort. Um, and and I well, think that's, that's, a, uh, well, that's a hard battle. It's a hard battle, but it's about the only battle they can fight. Yeah, it, it is. But, um, the, uh, you know, what the judge said, the FAA should, should study this. The FAA has informally looked at it, looked at different aspects of it. I, I suspect that the FAA is not going to uh, do anything, but I've I've been out to Oklahoma City where they do their testing and and talk to the folks who uh, who look at these questions. They actually um, have wanted to do a study, but the but the reality is they don't think there is a safety question here, um, and for several reasons. One is uh, when you when you do the certification testing with the Cirque du Soleil cast, a, a, as you said. Um, you have to have you have reduced seat pitch because you want to maximize the number of people on of the course, airplane. Of course, of course. So they're already testing seat pitch in that regard. The, the, but the but the question is, and and I think the evacuation tests, by the way, um, the, there is some rigor to it. Um, you do uh, you are required to have a variety of people. You have to have some lap children. Uh, they, they use dolls. Um, things like that. It has to be done in darkness. And I think the, the, what we've seen in accidents is that evacuation um, really uh, can be accomplished quite uh, effectively. Asiana well, in San look, Francisco. Asiana in San Francisco was an amazing story. Yeah. Uh, but then, of course, we had the British Airways flight right here in Las Vegas two years ago in September. Uh, in fact, it was the pilot's last flight on a 777 from Las Vegas to London. Engine catches fire on takeoff. He aborts. And with the plane essentially on fire, the evacuation takes nine and a half minutes because why? People were calling out with their rollerboards and, their, you know. Right, right. But there, there again, they got out alive. Oh, no, no. We like that idea. Right. But, right. okay, now let's, forgetting the reasons why they went after the, the airlines on this in terms of using safety to, to, to drive more comfort, let's now talk about the process of the FAA. The FAA, in my book, always takes quaaludes to stay awake. I mean, uh, which, which, think about that, right? Got it? Good. Yeah. Okay. So now they've been ordered to study it. Yeah. They weren't given a deadline, were they? No. Uh, no. So, so, I mean, it's sort of like, yeah, they'll get back to you in the next millennium. And look, the FAA is not the only safety researcher in the world. So this question has been looked at by, right. by other researchers. And, and, and what they have found is that the limiting factor in an evacuation is the aisle, not the seat row. Um, and if you think about it, when every time you leave an airplane, right, you can stand up or hunch over or whatever, you can't get out of your seat row until the aisle moves, right? right? You, right. So, so you're sitting there waiting. So, so if you had more seat 
pitch and you could get out of your row you're still waiting faster you're still waiting you're just getting to the aisle quicker to wait um and so they really don't think seat pitch will affect the speed of an evacuation and the other thing about it is and and uh, you know this is this is a hard pill to swallow Uh, yeah go ahead but uh having the seat in front of you closer to your head oh, I, I can't wait for this argument go ahead may actually be safer and uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, a, a million travers will strike me down for saying this i might be one um, of them and you might be uh, yeah. the first well you know what i, I <laughs> see for me I, I look at this as okay if it's that close together at least i'll be able to identify my body <laughs> right well <laughs> i'll be what, intact what what happens in a in a uh, sudden stop right. in in an accident is you fly is you is you go forward. And if you travel less distance, you're going to hit the seat in front of you. If you travel less distance to hit the seat in front of you, you may actually come out of it better. I can't wait for them to market that concept. Yeah. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Anybody who comes to Las Vegas, at least these days, gets to be, uh, well, they get some special treats because everywhere you look, uh, there's a different Cirque du Soleil show. I, you know, I, I went and saw Mystere and, and uh, what was it, Zumanity, and I, and I saw O, and I saw the Beatles, the love, uh, right? It's just everywhere. And you get to a point where you go, have they reached the point of diminishing returns? Are there too many? And the answer is they're not. I mean, I don't know where they find these people because the, the acrobatics, I sit at a Cirque du Soleil show, at a Cirque show and go with my mouth wide open and go wait a second that's anatomically impossible and yet we're not watching a magic show we're actually watching a performance and uh and it's and it's a great combination of of humor and when i say humor it's it's sort of laughing at the world a little bit and it's a great combination of acrobatics and physical endurance and a great combination of great music too i mean i actually i i admit it i went and got the soundtracks and i play them all the time and joining me now is uh one of the directors of show quality who of course is laughing as i'm telling you this because he has to do all this he has to make sure it actually works and he's got the best alliterative name ever the best alliterative name ever and are you ready ladies and gentlemen and i this is not central casting it's his name pierre parisienne did i get it yeah you got it (laughs) i i think i want i want to change my name to that i think that's a great name i do it is it's a terrific name i like my name yeah so first of all when you're mounting a show here it's a lot of shows don't open here they open somewhere else or you perfect them and they come you actually no, start we open the shows over here everyone is open here now yeah wow yeah the touring shows because i remember in the old days it was like it was montreal and yeah the touring shows we will always open the touring shows the shows we tour under the big top in montreal but the resident shows the shows who are that are not traveling like here in vegas we open the shows here in Vegas. We start the creation at the main office in Montreal, 
and during the creation period, there is a moment where we we bring everybody here in Las Vegas, and we integrate and we invite the theater. And what's the oldest show that you have in Vegas now? Mister. Mister. The one I saw, right? Was that the one at Treasure Island? Yeah, that's the that's one at the Treasure one. Yeah, Island. Okay. Mister will celebrate twenty five years next year. Wow! And the one yeah. that's got all the water. Oh yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And then I and, and that show, you know, all opened in ninety eight. And it opened in ninety eight. Speaking of ninety eight, that's when the Bellagio opened. Exactly. And I we was, opened at the same okay, time. Okay, I'm I'm really dating myself because I was actually here three years earlier standing next to Steve Wynn when he blew up the dunes. He literally <laughs> hit the plunger and it went. And then three years later, I'm we walking with him. Seated in a room. I'm walking with him for, when I was at NBC doing a show on this amazing hotel. And and here you are. Yeah. Right. When you think about a show, like well, any of the shows, here's my... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to admit something. I like to listen to a show, right? And I hear the cast... There's, there, there's dialogue, but it's I can't understand it, right? So you and that's intentional, right? You're, it's it's gibberish, isn't it? It's gibberish. Yeah, <laughs> that's but they do understand each other. Well, I could do it's like blah, 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 blah. it's sort of like right. It's it's sort of like half pantomime and half talking, and, and you make no sense, but but you get for it. them it makes sense. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For them, it's, what they're saying to each other is, "Don't slip. Don't fall." <laughs> <laughs> could be. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Now, living in a world of tort attorneys and liability. I mean, how do you mount a show like that? How many disclaimers are there for the performers? Because there's some high-wire, risky things. Everything is risky. Yeah. Yeah, everything is risky. But we are very, very careful with safety. That's our number one goal, safety. We will never integrate artists or integrate a new act or integrate new acrobatic elements if we do not measure the level of difficulty and we have to make sure that we can sustain 10 shows a week so we it takes time it takes time because we want the show to evolve the shows all the shows are evolving on a regular basis that evolution takes time because as we just talked about safety safety is our priori- priority number one so we have to be careful, and we take our we take our time when it's time to integrate new elements. And before you even integrate new elements, you got to cast it, and you got to figure out <laughs> yes who's going to. Where are you yeah. finding these people? Around the world, really. I know. I know. China world. was a big source for you, right? You had some uh, the, uh, on the acrobatic acts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where else? We have people from every country. I think we are the United Nation of circus. Um, At a time, by the way, you you mentioned something that's interesting, and I want to talk about it when we come back. You mentioned the United Nations of Circus at a time when the circuses are ending. You know, Ringling Brothers is is gone, uh, essentially closed up shop. Uh, There's some small traveling circuses. But if you're now looking after Ringling Brothers, which Mm -hmm. is obviously a brand that goes back more than 100 years, Mm -hmm. if you're looking at a brand of a circus now, the only one that really comes to mind on a universal level is Cirque du Soleil. Not too bad, eh? For a company who we have, what, 33 years old this year? Where are the wagons? The wagon is too slow. Can't you ride? It's not that he can't ride. How is it you put it home? They're dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle. Why would I want anything with a mind of its own bobbing about between my legs? 
next guest uh, has a, I happen to think, a revolutionary idea about it, um, and something that, you know, if you follow the idea that necessity is the mother of invention, then I think he's got something here. Because when you think about the entire hotel experience, it's more than just the rate, and it's more than just the reservation. It's what happens if you can't go. What happens if you cancel? What are the repercussions? Financially, as as well as just logistically, and my next guest, uh, uh, Gohan Ben-David, started a company called Rumor, not R-U-M-O-R, no, R-O-O-M-E-R, and it's all about this brave new netherworld, if you will, of hotel cancellations. And before we, we, we get to the nitty-gritty of this, understand this. You're looking at hotels right now that are changing their cancellation policies left and right to be able to retain your money. Uh, so that if you cancel within 48 hours, you lose everything. Um, there, there used to be hotels that would would charge you for checking out early. Let's say you made a room reservation for three nights and you left after two, they'd nail you for that. I mean, the the hotels are changing by taking their lead from the airlines. But uh, my next guest, <laughs> Gon Ben David, has an answer for that. How have you fixed this cancellation problem for consumers as well as the hotels? Thank you very much, Peter. Uh, we are trying to solve the problem by connecting the the cancellation the cancellations with people that actually want to buy those reservations that have been canceled so the room gets sold either way correct uh, we have an app called rumor uh, and you can basically download that for free and then you can find all of the canceled reservations all around the world okay so let me step this up I make a reservation through rumor mm-hmm. okay I make a reservation at a Hilton hotel in Chicago just as an example and the room, it's $150 a night. And two days before I'm going, oh, my God, something happened, ch- plans changed, I've got to cancel. So under your program, I then let you know that I'm canceling. Mm-hmm. You then put my room in the pool mm-hmm. and rent it out to somebody else. Exactly. Right? So the hotel doesn't lose an ounce of revenue, mm-hmm. and I get my money back. Exactly. So how do you make your money? We charge a commission only from a successful sale from the seller. So if you post your room for sale um, on the marketplace and we sell it, and that's, let's say it's a $100 room, we'll charge for, uh, 15%, $15 in that case, only if we are able to sell that. And with our cancellation protection that you actually buy when you book the room with the hotel or the travel agency, we charge a small fee. And that works like a kibbutz. It's everyone pays a small fee. <laughs> like a kibbutz. Exactly. <laughs> that, that, that's where, that's the real sharing economy. That's where I grew up. And um, everyone pays a small fee. We don't really know who will cancel and who will not. But then this money is in the pool. And when, when people cancel, we can refund them from that pool as well. Who sets the rate when I want to sell my room and I can't go? If I'm canceling the room and I want to put it in, on, on the market, mm-hmm. who sets that rate? You set the rate. I set the rate. Yes. So I have to be, I can't be greedy. I have to be reasonable. Some people are trying to, but we always show a price comparison. So we show what's the price on Hilton, what's the price on Hyatt, what's the price on Expedia. So um, in the end, we want to show this transparency in both sides. So what that means is Hilton already has my 150 bucks, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Whether I stay there or I don't. Correct. Okay. Now I can't go. Mm-hmm. I sell the room for 100. Mm-hmm. You buy the room for 100, mm-hmm. right? Correct. So you're happy because you're spending less money than you would than you would if you bought it from Hilton, right? And I get 85 bucks back, which is a whole lot better than zero. 
Exactly. And I will spend this money on the minibar, the food and beverage. About 30% of the revenue of the hotel is coming from the food and beverage, and especially in the full service hotels. So it's a win-win for, for everyone. Now, everybody wants to manage their inventory. Airlines want to manage their inventory. That's why people get bumped. Hotels want to manage their inventory. They don't want an empty room. But there's something called rate integrity. Mm-hmm. Every hotel wants to maintain that mm-hmm. rate. They don't want to be undercut. Mm-hmm. This essentially undercuts it. We're trying to work with the hotels. So with some hotels, we are more sensitive. But we have a, basically a sign-up uh, wall. So some of the hotels only allow you to show those rates on the app or after a sign-up. So some of our rates are much cheaper than what you can find anywhere else. But uh, it's not uh, violating the BRG, basically. So, but the bottom line is the hotels like the idea because they're not losing anything. Correct. And they make incremental revenue from people staying in the rooms and we... Because the room's not empty. Correct. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. One of the people who comes to this every year uh, has a reason for being here because he's one of the suppliers. In fact, he's a big supplier as the CEO and chairman and founder and owner of a luxury cruise line and has been on our show before many times. Uh, the chairman himself, Manfredi Lefebvre Davidio. How are you, sir? Hello, Peter. Fine. So what brings you here? I mean, why do you, why do you come to an organization at an event like this in the middle of 110 degree heat in August in Las Vegas? Well, you don't get much of the heat because we're closed. <laughs> you never get outside. <laughs> we're all in two closed doors because we're meeting after meeting. And that's the reason I come here because you really meet the who's who of the industry and it's a very vibrant. And as you said, it's very growing. Why? Because it's a growing industry. It's a growing industry because it's growing as an audience, the people, the, you know, the, the people from all over the world more and more want to travel, want to visit the world. And, uh, and we're more and more supplying goods. So I'm building more ships and more hotels are being built. So that grows. More ships, ship owners, more hotel, hotel owners, more distribution system from more countries. And you're building more ships because the numbers are actually quite staggering. If you take a look at the, the market penetration of cruise ships among Americans... Only what is it? Am I wrong? About 13 and 14 percent of Americans have ever taken a cruise? Have ever taken? I don't know. There's only two or three percent that take a cruise yearly. So that's, yeah. that's very little. It's very little. Yeah. And, and then look, that doesn't mean that 98 percent are going to go, but it means you only, you only have one way to go is up. And yet in China, you have 130 million Chinese who are going to travel one way or the other this year. If you only had three percent of them, it would, that would be a multiple of, uh, if, imagine, if there are 25 million cruisers, 13 million, almost 14 million coming from the U.S. with 300 million people. If you go to 3.5 billion Asians, you multiply by 10. But, I mean, it's a long way to go there. But there's a long way to go for the cruise industry. But you're, but you're building for that because there's a market there. Uh, first of all, we build for our own markets because the growth in the U.S., the growth in Europe, the growth in the, the, the traditional cruising countries is sufficient to feed uh, the ships we're building. On top of that, there is this huge potential. And you now have how many ships in the fleet? Nine. And a tenth coming? Well, we're not announcing until we've done things, but there are more things on the, that we're cooking on. But of the ships that you have, I mean... In the interest of full disclosure, I was lucky enough to be on board for the inauguration and the christening of your latest new ship, the Silver Muse, Muse yes, uh, in Monaco. A beautiful ship. 
It's your largest ship. And, and at the same time, you have ships in the shipyard right now that are being completely redone and rebuilt to Antarctic standards. Well, there's one ship we're doing to Antarctic standards, which is the Silver Cloud, which substantially becomes a new ship. Everything is redone, the interiors, and then it's strengthened for ice class. And then we're lengthening the Silver Spirit, and, uh, and also there we're doing a lot of the ship. So there is uh, a lot of things going on the existing fleet. We're doing massive works on all the fleet. Plus, we have projects for new builds, which I hope will become very shortly news and not just uh, projects. And it, you wouldn't be doing that if the market wouldn't support it. The market is incredible. You put a new ship and it fills. Well, look what happened in river cruising. I mean, you and I share a friendship with, with Torhagen, who has Viking river cruises. He was christening 10 ships at a time and filling them. Even 12 once. Crazy. Uh, crazy. You know, the problem is, of course, the rivers are smaller than the oceans. Then you have to, to, have to operate those ships. And there's a limit there. But uh, on the oceans, they're so vast. What is it? 96% of the surface of the world is covered by water. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And the coasts are immense. And yet, the other thing is this. I saw a number that came out about a year ago that if you added up all the cruise ships and all the ports they go to, it's over, I think, 1,100. You already go to 850 of them. Yeah, that's many more to explore. But 850, so, that alone is a staggering number. I mean, yeah, but I mean, we want to show the world to the people. People have to come to Silver Sea because they want to explore the world. They want to experience, experience cultures, experience nature, experience wildlife, experience human beings. Well, you said something interesting. You said the word explore. If you go back to a definition of traditional cruising, maybe even 10 years ago, the word explore wasn't part of the vocabulary. It wasn't. It was, you go to relax, you go to sea, you go to hang out, you do shore excursions. Nobody said explore. Now it's all about exploring. Well, the traditional image of cruising... 40 years ago was you're on a ship and you're with uh, on a shizlong and uh, relaxing and that's it reading a book then it had been evolving so then you have the fun si uh, the fun ships carnival you can yeah. do carnival the royal caribbean all of that and uh, so then you have the ships which offer you incredible dining options and variety of things and and we add more things so the ship are multi products it's not just cruising it's cruisings <laughs> that means different kind of cruising. You have sailboats, sailships, you have motor ships, you have everything. Plus, when you look at your ports, you're not just doing the traditional Caribbean or the European ports. You're going to the Russian Far East. You're, you, you're doing Bangladesh. We did a cruise in Bangladesh. sold out. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, the people, you know, say, there are people that say, I want to see that part of the world. And, the, the most and they want to see it in, and they want to see it in comfort and style. Comfort and style, and also some kind of uh, safety, you know, because you're handled by, uh, by us. It's much easier than to arrive at the airport, go and take a taxi, pass customs. When you're going on a cruise ship, you arrive in this new country, which is you have no experience about, and you arrive with a, a cruise ship and an operator who has been taking care of this very well. So it works. It's much more reassuring, let's say. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. 
You know, in this, in this week of hundreds of thousands of meetings, and I'm not exaggerating, and billions of dollars in business, there's another aspect to it that my next guest knows a lot about because he's a regular on our show, and you may know him from National Geographic Traveler, but he also has a title here at Virtuoso, and if I can get it all done, it's the global stretch, global what? Global Sustainability Strategist for the Virtuoso Travel Network. <clears throat> and you win nothing for that, but it's an absolutely correct answer. Costas Christ. Costas, sustainability, we've, we've gone through this definitional challenge every time I talk to you on the, on the air. But what's really going on as it relates to travel advisors who up until recently, that really wasn't in their, in their wheelhouse? Well, Peter, let's remind all your wonderful listeners out there just exactly what sustainable tourism is. There's three pillars, environmentally friendly practices. That's the stuff we think of, all the green things, reduce, reuse, recycle, all that green good stuff. But there's another pillar, number two, support for the protection of cultural and natural heritage. And the third pillar, of course, is ensuring that social and economic benefits uh, improve the well-being of local people and the destinations we travel to around the world. Okay, stop right there, because you've rehearsed that script. I got it. But my question is this. Those are all well and good, but the traditional definition of a travel agent has not been visionary, if you will. It's been transactional. So you have to educate the travel advisors as to why it's in their best interest to pursue this. That's exactly right. And I wanted to mention that definition because that is precisely the foundation upon which we are rolling out a series of travel agent trainings. In fact, we started this year. It's called our sustainability series. We've done 12 webinars here at Virtuoso Travel Week that you talked about. We are doing live trainings. And of course, uh, just uh, the day before yesterday, Virtuoso hosted its first inaugural sustainable summit. And that summit included travel advisors, and we had a very interesting conversation, including travel advisors saying, hey, guess what, guys? We get it. We're interested in it. Help us get the tools we need to advance this. Because it has to trickle down, or maybe even tumble down, to the consumer. Everybody has to be involved, right? And the supplier, uh, whether it's the hotel, the resort, the cruise line, the airline, the rental car, everywhere I go. And we all travel. You travel. I travel. We travel a lot. We see waste. We see stuff that's thrown away, whether it's food, plastic, recyclables, uh, paper. I mean, if you take a look, a couple of years ago, I decided to have some fun one day. I went to an airline. It was American Airlines. I said, I'd like to do something. You have a flight one that leaves New York City at at 9 o'clock in the morning, gets into L.A. about noon. What I'd like to do is I'd like to meet that flight with your cleaning crew. And what I'd like to do is have them take everything off the plane that was left by passengers. I'd then like to itemize it, and then I'd like to weigh it. Oh, my God. They said, okay. And we did. How much do you think we took off that plane? That was It was just a 767, held about 200 people, maybe a little more than 200 people. Yes, it was a Sunday, so they had the Sunday papers, but... Still, the amount that they left on that plane was unbelievable. And what did the airline do before? They just threw it out. They didn't recycle. They, uh, we haven't even talked about the food that was left on the plane, right? Now you have a situation where you have airlines, hotels, including the ones we're at right now, that are doing something about it. That's right, Peter. And um, 
you know, you, you've touched on a number of interesting things here, but I want to go right to the last point where you ended up, this notion of waste. Well, that's one of the pillars, environmentally friendly practices. We talked about that. So, and you also talked about educating the consumer. And there are different ways that had ha that, that happens. For example, we are seated right now in this interview in the uh, Bellagio Hotel, one, one of the Virtuoso Anchor Hotels here for Virtuoso Travel Week, along with Aria Hotel. These are MGM properties. And so, you know, for a long time, MGM, by the way, might come as a surprise, we are in a place called City Center, and that is one of the world's largest, most sustainable LEED certified projects. And here's something interesting. Educating the consumer isn't always easy. People come to Vegas, they want to party, okay? They're you, not noticed, you noticed. They're, they're, they're not necessarily thinking about what basket should I put my paper in and which one should I put my plastic in. Wait, 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 think here, about it. Sometimes they can't even see it. They're so smashed. <laughs> but here's something else. So MGM did something pretty innovative. They said, you know what? We spent a lot of time trying to educate people who were here on vacation to put stuff in the right recycle bins. And it's been a mixed result, so we're going to do something different. We're going to take the decision out of their hands, and we're going to stick one garbage in their room, and they can throw all their stuff in it. And we're going to bring a team underneath our floors. And by the way, we had a tour of this today to see it with our own eyes, where there are hundreds of people going through tons of sorting. So MGM made the decision, we're going to sort, we're going to put it all in the bins, and they can throw it where they want. That's another answer to the solution. Now, does that educate them? Well, that's a bigger conversation for us to have about consumers, travelers, and travel agents. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast on the new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes Podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews, and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts.